Welcome to the Wannabe Theologian Podcast. I'm Paul Hess. Thanks for listening today. Uh, you can find the podcast on Spotify, YouTube, Anchor FM, and Apple Podcasts. Like and subscribe to the podcast for the latest episode releases. Uh, today's episode is a, is a special one, as it's the first time I'm trying this as a video podcast. Uh, this is all new to me, so bear with me as I try to work through the mechanics of doing a video podcast. I'll admit I might have a face for radio, but still, I think it's better to do video as it makes the podcast a bit more conversational. I still will be using a manuscript for these episodes simply because we have to be very precise in discussing the doctrine of God, and I uh, don't want to accidentally misspeak and start spouting heresy. All right, enough of the preliminaries. Let's get to the meat of the podcast. I want to start today's show with a question. Will an eternity in the presence of God ever become boring? As Christians, eternal life is to know God and to live forever in the presence of God. Eternity is a long time. Isn't there a possibility that we might end up becoming bored with God? Even that which you enjoy most, you eventually get bored. If you had your favorite food every day, you'd eventually grow tired of it. Or think of your favorite games or books or activities. How many times can you enjoy that activity before you decide to move on to something else entirely? So will an eternity in the presence of God ever become boring? God can't keep us interested for all eternity, right? I suspect that most Christians would intuitively believe that heaven won't be boring. Maybe certain conceptions we have of heaven sound boring, but intuitively we expect that being in the presence of God is not a boring affair. And in fact, we would expect it to be entirely the opposite of boring. But what is it about God that ensures this? The answer to this question is the first attribute to which we'll devote an entire episode. Some of the reasons we get bored with things is that eventually we learn all we can of something, or that learning more of a subject can become monotonous. But when it comes to God, will we ever know all that we can of God? Can we comprehend God? Let's go to a few passages of scripture. We'll start with Isaiah 45, verse 3. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. What does the psalmist say about God's greatness? He first declares that God is great. It means that the psalmist knows something of God's greatness. But then he, being the psalmist, immediately proceeds to say that God's greatness is unsearchable. So is God's greatness knowable? Yes, at least in a partial sense. But can we fully know? God's greatness? The psalmist is clear. No, we cannot. We cannot fully search the depths of God's greatness. If we look at Job 9 verse 10, we see Job state, It is he who does great things, the unfathomable, and wondrous works without number. Here Job reiterates what the psalmist wrote. God is called the unfathomable, the one who does wondrous works without number. Can we fully comprehend the one whom the Bible calls unfathomable? Can we fully comprehend the one who does innumerable works? No, of course not. The Apostle Paul continues such descriptions of God in 1 Timothy 6, verses 15 through 16. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Paul says much the same thing in Romans 11, verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him 
are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Can we fully comprehend God? No, we cannot. God's greatness and judgments are unsearchable. His ways are unfathomable. No one has seen or can see God, nor have we known the mind of the Lord. We cannot comprehend God. These are not the only passages that speak to such concepts. There are many others. When we pull all this together, we find that we can ascribe to God the attribute of divine incomprehensibility. Incomprehensibility. Now that would make a wonderful Scrabble word. We know what it means to comprehend. And so when something is comprehensible, it is something that we can comprehend. When we comprehend something, we understand it. We can wrap our minds around it. Even if it takes effort on our part, when we comprehend something, we've got it nicely understood in our brains. When you were a child learning addition and subtraction, initially these concept may, concepts may have made little sense to you, but eventually you comprehended, it, comprehended them. You had a firm grasp of addition and subtraction, and so you could move on to multiplication, division, fractions, and other topics. You could say then that addition and subtraction were comprehensible. You could fully understand it. But our divine attribute is not comprehensibility. We added the prefix in to the beginning of the word. When we add the prefix in to comprehensibility, we have the negation of the word. Incomprehensibility at its most basic level means not able to be comprehended. Something that is incomprehensible is something we cannot wrap our minds around. Whereas you could fully wrap your mind around addition and subtraction, you cannot do so with something that is incomprehensible. Our definition of divine incomprehensibility then is, quote, God's infinity with respect to our understanding, unquote. In other words, there is no point at which we can fully wrap our minds around God. While you could fully wrap your mind around addition and subtraction, you cannot do so with God in any way. This is our first attribute of God. When we speak of divine incomprehensibility, what we are saying is that whatever we say about God, we must recognize that there is an infinite gulf between us and God. This gulf is because God is God and we are mere creatures. Because there is this infinite gulf between us, we cannot know God exhaustively. Our inability to fully know God does not come merely from the fact that we are sinners and God is perfectly holy. Sin introduces its own chasm in our knowledge of God. Sin darkens our minds, blinds our understanding, and veils our spiritual sight. But even in the new heavens and new earth, when we are perfected and sin is no more, this chasm between God and man doesn't go away. God will always remain infinite with respect to our understanding. This also means that we do not know God as God knows himself. God is unfathomable to us, but is God unfathomable to God? Are God's ways unsearchable to God? Of course not. God fully knows himself. No man has seen God or can see God, for God dwells in unapproachable light. But is God unapproachable to God? Not at all. That would be silly. Paul asks, who has known the mind of the Lord? The answer is obviously no one. But Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 11 that no one knows the mind of God except the Spirit of God, that is the Holy Spirit. While man, because he is a creature, cannot know the mind of God, God indeed knows his own mind. This drives home the point that we do not know God the way God knows himself. 
This is an important component of divine incomprehensibility. God knows himself perfectly, but we do not know God perfectly. Even where we do know God truly, we do not know God completely. This is why our analogical language is so important. If we could speak of God univocally, that is, use words that describe God in the same way that they describe us, this would mean that God, in at least some sense, could be fully comprehended. For example, if God's love were univocal with man's love, it would mean that we could comprehend God, and that our creaturely terminology about love would allow us to fully wrap our minds around God's love. But this is impossible. God is unfathomable, and if God is unfathomable, so is his love. This is where analogical language comes to the rescue. Remember, analogical language allows us to use words in similar but distinct ways. It allows us to speak truly of God, but the distinctions mean that we cannot fully comprehend God. When we speak of God, we are speaking by way of analogy. Analogy does not mean that our language is false, but that our language, uh, rather, that our language about God is by way of analogy, which speaks truly, but does not fully describe God. So, if God is incomprehensible, what does that mean about our knowledge of God? What it means is that our knowledge of God is the finite, analogous knowledge of those created in God's image. As humans, as those created in the image of God, we can know God in a way that plants and animals cannot know God. Even so, our knowledge of God is finite and analogous. Therefore, we are dependent on God's self-revelation for us to know God. This self-revelation is why we, why we can truly speak of God. An incomprehensible God is not a God we can just learn about on our own, apart from God's self-revelation, for that would require our language about God to be univocal in some way. But since God is incomprehensible, and our language about God is analogical, we are dependent on God's self-revelation for us to know God. We must take care, though, to maintain a balance in our knowledge of God. Paganism says that God can be comprehended because pagan gods are much like us. Deism, on the other hand, says that God is so far above us that we cannot speak truly of God and his attributes in any meaningful sense. Christianity maintains the proper balance by saying that while we can speak truly of God, we cannot fully comprehend God. And since God has revealed himself to us, it means we can speak truly of God. Divine incomprehensibility, then, is what ensures that heaven will never be boring, for God is infinite with respect to our understanding. There will never come a day where we have exhausted everything there is to know about God. There will always be something new and wonderful to learn of God, for which we could praise him. We must just address an objection that naturally arises to what we've said so far. Just a fair warning, this section is a little more technical. While this technical language may seem overbearing, the issues we'll be dealing with will significantly impact what we say in future episodes. So buckle your seatbelts and put your tray tables in an upright position and let's go. The objection we must address is this. If God is incomprehensible and our language about God is only analogical, doesn't this mean we can't really know God? After all, when we use the word God, we're speaking of God, not some analogy of God, right? Doesn't this mean that we must be able to speak of God in a univocal manner, at least in some cases, and thus God is not truly incomprehensible? While no reputable Christian theologian would ever deny that God is infinite with respect to our understanding, 
there, there are times where some theologians would argue that we need to use univocal language about God, and thus there are aspects of God which are not incomprehensible. Now, if someone challenged you with this, what would you say? While this objection may seem rather technical, it is actually one of the most important questions we'll ever have to address in our study of the doctrine of God. How we answer this question will inform how we speak of many of God's other attributes and how we address some of the particulars of future attributes. And some of the attributes, some of the details of future attributes will come down to this very question. We can glean some important insights from the Reformed theologian Petrus von Maastricht. In his work, Theoretical Practical Theology, he points out that there is a difference between describing something and defining something. Our analogical language allows us to describe God, but our hypothetical objection wants us to define God. If we want to use univocal language of, about God, we are trying to define God rather than describe him. If you are going to define something, you must use analogical language. A definition speaks of an abstract idea with particular properties, and then we can apply that definition to a particular instance of that thing. If we want to define something, we must use univocal language. But God is no abstract idea. There is not some broad category called God, of which God is just one particular instance. We're monotheists, after all. There is one God, and there can only be one God. There cannot be a generic, abstract idea of God. There is only God in himself. To say that there is both an abstract definition of God, along with a particular instance of that God, then we would actually have two gods, the definition and the genuine article. Again, we're monotheists, so this cannot possibly be true. Human beings, on the other hand, can be defined. There is an abstract idea of humanity and many instances of humans, many billions to be precise. This brings us back to our creator-creature distinction. If we can define God, it means that both creatures and the creator can be defined. What's so bad about that? It means that we can speak univocally about God and man in this way. There is something about God, that is, our ability to define him, that exactly resembles something in humanity. It makes God like us, and this is something we must not do. Now, how does the Bible handle this question? We've leaned on general revelation so far. Maybe special revelation tells us something different. Can we define God via the scriptures? Does the Bible ever define God? Or does the Bible describe God? Think of all the ways that the Bible speaks of God. Is the Bible defining God or is it describing God? When the Bible speaks of God as being a rock or as being a consuming fire or as having wings and so on, is it defining God? If it were, then God would actually be those things. And, that, and thus, God would just be like creation. God would be creaturely. That would destroy any sort of creator-creature distinction, something we discussed in our very first episode. If the Bible is not defining God, then it must be describing God. When it speaks of God as a rock or as a consuming fire, it is speaking by way of analogy. And this is what we must do with God. We must speak by way of analogy. And thus, if we are speaking by way of analogy, God must be incomprehensible, that is, infinite with respect to our understanding. And even the word God, while a true and accurate way to describe God, 
does not fully define God. Now, if we think back to our very first episode, we defined what we meant by the phrase divine attribute, and we also defined uh, two categories for divine attributes. Communicable attributes were those attributes which God is able to share with creatures created and recreated in his image, while incommunicable attributes have no analogy in creation. So let's think about our, our attribute today. Into which category of divine attributes does incomprehensibility belong? Is this one that God is able to share with creatures? Or does it have no analogy in creation? I hope you can already see the answer. It is an incommunicable attribute. It has no analogy in creation, and it is impossible for it to have any analogy in creation. After all, if it did, then God's incomprehensibility would not be what it is. The whole point of incomprehensibility is that God cannot be completely described by creation, and so this attribute cannot possibly be mimicked by something in creation. As we wrap up this episode, I want to read an excerpt from a sermon that Charles Spurgeon once preached on Malachi 3, verse 6, and I quote, The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can compass and grapple with, and then we feel a kind of self-content and go away with a thought, Behold, I am wise. But when we come to this master science, finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth, and that our eagle eye cannot see its height, we turn away with the thought that vain man would be wise, but he is like a wild ass's colt, and with the solemn exclamation, I am but of yesterday and know nothing. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. We should be obliged to feel, great God, how infinite art thou, what witless worms we are. Returning to the question we opened the episode with, if God is incomprehensible, how could an eternity in the presence of God ever be boring? We only get bored when we fully wrap our minds around something or when the object of our attention becomes monotonous. But since God is incomprehensible, we can never fully wrap our minds around God, nor can God, as the object of our attention, ever become monotonous. Rather than an eternity being too much time to study God, an eternity will not be long enough for us to truly wrap our minds around God. But God's incomprehensibility also reminds us that this question of boredom in the presence of God is utterly ridiculous in the first place. God is not just one more thing at the proverbial buffet. You don't go to your nearest theological 7-Eleven and purchase all of the God snacks you can find, only for you to eat all of them and find yourself just as hungry as before. When we realize that God is incomprehensible, we find that the study of God is not about us at all. The study of God is about God. God is at the center, and we find that we are the ones in awe of God. And all we can do is worship the God whose ways are past finding out. If you found this podcast helpful, like and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast streaming service. Uh, this helps the podcast tremendously. And thanks again for, for listening. God bless.